We can always sidetrack to anything dealing with Firefly. We can sidetrack to. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Stonewall Jackson's there, and the fact that he has a robotic arm is amazing. Why am I even on the show? Craig <laughs> <laughs> Craig needs to be convinced to know, like do his research, not whether to play this game. Oh my uh, god! It's possible I'll never play this game, so, but I guarantee I'm going to own the Wayward Eight. <laughs> than stepping away from the screens, unplugging and sitting around a table to do battle with your friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars brings you the latest strategies, tactics, and reviews on board games, card games, and miniature games like Malifaux. If you want useful information on the games you already play, or new insights on great games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here, and welcome to the third floor in another episode of the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Today I've got two guests, Paul Regina and Brian Powell, trying to convince me that I should be playing Wild West Exodus by War Cradle Studios. Paul, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Paul. I'm from Three Men in a War Game, and if you've ever listened to that show, you know that I have extreme amounts of enthusiasm for it, and it is so far above what I have for Legion, and I was pretty excited about that game. Yeah, Paul was on our last episode with the same format where uh, Paul was uh, trying to convince me pretty uh, pretty well that uh, Legion is a game I should be playing. But we have a new guest on the show, uh, Brian Powell. Brian, can you tell us about you? Um, yeah, hi, everybody. Um, um, my name is Brian. Um, in Wallace Exodus world, I'm known as Jedi Powell. Um, I am a huge Star Wars fan as well, but uh, I got stuck into Wallace Exodus from the beginning uh, with its first Kickstarter. And here I am. I'm going to convince uh, Greg to join us too. <laughs> so let me give you guys a little bit of a background for myself. Um, so I, I'm an ex-40K player. Uh, I got disillusioned and tired of 40K, which I've been playing for, I don't know, going on a dozen years. And uh, kind of was poking around and gotten involved in the Guild Bolt Kickstarter. And they, they had dust on them. It was, I had gotten them and they'd sat there for a year. And that was my first exposure to a skirmish game. And I was having fun with Guild Ball, but I uh, got a little tired of it. I started poking around to see what other games were out there. And I found at about the same time, I found Malifaux and I found Wild West Exodus. And I thought that kind of the setting of both, and they both looked really cool. They're a skirmish, you know, kind of feel to them. And uh, it was the fact that at that time, uh, Wild West Exodus was metal models. That ended up making me go for Malifaux, which has been, you know, my love for the past two years. So I'm really anxious to hear about this. And to get ready for today, um, I went over to the website and I took a quick look at kind of the write-up they have there. So this is what uh, War Cradle says about Wild West Exodus. Wild West Exodus is a dynamic, fast-paced tabletop miniature game pitting a cast of heroic characters against each other in a brutal world. Very much a twisted reflection of our own. In the twilight years of the 19th century, mankind is perched upon a new age of discovery and enlightenment. However, humanity's greed and ambition have created a dystopian age where nations clash and the threat of war forever lingers. 
we must remember that all is not lost. In Wild West Exodus, the bravery and actions of individuals on the frontier can still forge legends that change the world. That's pretty cool. That gives you kind of a neat kind of heroic feel for the theme. And probably the first thing that will attract me to a game is the theme. So, uh, Brian, can you kind of give me a feel of of the setting? Um, Okay. So, um, first, I will like to let let you know that – uh, Wild West Exodus never had metal models. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wonder what I was looking at then. It, it, I remember like they, they had like charging stations for their horses, and it was like these mech horses game. And I thought it was Wild West Exodus. Maybe I was wrong. Oh well. <laughs> no, yeah, you, you saw them, but they were, they were resin. Oh, was it resin? Oh well. Well, cool story anyway, except bro. For the one, <laughs> except for the ones that Rob Hawkins made for the uh, first few demo tables. Uh, his he he made from scratch so those may have been the ones you saw just painted so they just appeared that way i don't know but there was never any metal in wallace exodus but uh gee look at that um, i just i lost my opportunity to fall in love with this game (laughs) instead of malifaux all because i misunderstood uh metal and resin oh that's okay we got you tonight bro don't worry <laughs> that was yeah, scratching my head while you were talking, going, metal? <laughs> Why am I even on the show? Right. <laughs> um, has, Craig, Craig needs to be convinced to know, like, do his research, not whether to play this game. So that's the first step. Um, okay. okay so Second the, step. One of the things that um, drew me to the game was was models, but the the actual idea behind it actually was. Um, I guess another barb in the hook. So while was Exodus, the world is not the actual history of our world. It's something changed in that world early on that started a different cause and effect of when technology started showing up in the world. It centers around two otherworldly entities that have both shown up on earth and they're at war. So some of the technologies in this game, and they're not steampunk, there's no, nothing in, in the game is steam-powered because they've already advanced to um, fusion and uh, other forms of uh, science-based sci-fi technology. So you, um, that's the one aesthetic that I thought was most interesting is they, they don't carry the same cog and a steam engine kind of things that you see in some of the other steampunks it, because it's not steampunk it's sci-fi western and uh that's pretty cool you know, yeah that, and, and and as you're as you were telling me that brian i was like boy that, that really do, does differentiate it because you know malifaux's setting you know unique on its own but the idea of mixing wild west and steampunk is not new right, right. um we've seen that for a long time i don't know if i've seen you know outside of you know uh what was it cowboy versus aliens the movie there right. really kind of that like that next step futuristic, like beyond our own technology, you know, here in the 21st century uh, mixed in with the old West. Um, but one quick question for you, cause that, that sounds interesting to me and maybe you were headed that direction before I rudely interrupted you. It, it, there's, there's a divergence that happens between the history that, you know, we know, and then when things take a right turn. So it, it, is there an event that really causes that? Right. So uh, one of the entities actually is where um, is, it's called the Dark Council. It's just like a name that they've um, been granted by people who start figuring out that this otherworldly presence has been influencing 
human um, history from like thousands of years. So we're we're talking our diverted history in Wild West Exodus actually started thousands and thousands of years ago. Interesting, because these entities when they got here, the one entity is they have monstrous physical manifestations. So you tend to think that they're evil, but in Wild West Exodus, we like to tease that like they're all bad guys. <laughs> so i mean it's like it's like various shades of who's right and who's wrong at any given time hey but the spellings right. always believe that they are right yeah right so their faction is now called the hex so when they arrived on the earth millennia ago thousands of years they they interact with the the populace by giving them you know otherworldly powers corrupting their flesh uh, strange things can happen in those regards. So over generations and generations, they kind of start gaining influence on the world. Well, then they trigger being noticed by the other otherworldly entity called the order. And the order, uh, the best way is they're energy beings. So if if you ever watch Stargate, um, the TV show, you, you one of the enlightened or elevated races became energy. So it's kind of like embarkings on that. So it's just an energy race that cannot affect the physical realm. So they actually enter into the humans to, to protect them from this other entity, the hex. So they start whispering in dreams a way of in, influencing the humans to then start building technologies. And then they start, you know, having the humans fight for them. And uh, so that started around when Atlantis was formed as a city. Oh, wow. Okay. A long time ago then. So so when when I say a long time ago, that is when the first clash between the Hex and the Order happened on Earth. Got it. Got it. Right? So typically when these two entities have clashed, what happens is the Dark Council or the Hex gets so strong on the planet, the Order have to elevate their response. So eventually the Order like kind of influences the uh, the world first through dreams and then through, um, you know, getting those humans actually to do most of the work. But then they get to a, a certain stage in their their influence. And what they do is then they host into humans who have met all the criteria within the, uh, the orders human structure. And then because the human body can't hold in this energy, they have to actually adorn in armor set suits that the, the humans have built over generations, not knowing what they're building. Sure. Cause sure. each fam, each family knows how to build one piece, but they don't know how they work until it gets to humans who have more access to, uh, the actual entities, uh, the order. And then that's when the co-corally, um, uh, are present. So if you've seen the models of the order, the large, they're, they're, they stand head, head, uh, head tall over every other model because they're, they're in these encasement suits. <laughs> so it makes them stand out versus all the others. But, uh, so anyway, so as those phases continue, the order gets more and more involved in defending the world. At the point that the order thinks they cannot save the race, whether it's because they've done this over 17 times, different worlds across the galaxies, um, things get worse and worse off for those inhabitants. 
So, uh, so yeah, th- th- I mean, that's really interesting. And, and, and so it, earth becomes the battlefield right. uh, in, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, conflict between these two. And, and it sounds like it's, it's a uh, little bit of an arms race and a balancing act that kind of initiates each of these 17 events, you know, over time as, as the hex increases its influence. Uh, Paul, um, now one thing I've always thought was interesting is there's actually like Abraham Lincoln and there's like real characters uh, in the game. And can you kind of give me an idea? of how that fits in? Yeah, so uh, you might know this, Craig, but I'm a history guy. Um, so, you know, U.S. history has always fascinated me. And it, it, it essentially comes alive in this game because it takes real-life people and, and uses them in the game. So one, one of the things that I always give as a good example is Stonewall Jackson. If you know anything about Stonewall Jackson, you know that he, you know, he lost his arm and then it got infected and he died on a Sunday, just like he always said he would. In Wild West Exodus, he's still around because he was able to be saved slash revived slash given a mechanical arm. So he's nice. perfectly alive and well, leading a group of Confederates who are still pissed off at the Union, right? Despite the fact that we're looking at 10, 15 years past the end of, of, of when we know the Civil War would have ended. So you also have... Abraham Lincoln in the game, and he kind of faked his death uh, so he could go off and and take care of things for the Union. Um, You have lots of famous outlaws like Jesse James, Billy the Kid. Um, So it it takes all these real life figures and gives them this really great feeling in the game. You can totally buy the fact that Stonewall Jackson's there and the fact that he has a robotic arm is amazing. Like it just, yeah, it, that's it cool. just screams awesome. Yeah, that's um, cool. Cause it, it fits, especially like you said, if you know the history and how he died, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, even, even down to, um, it, it even, some of it even plays on the rivalry between Tesla and Edison. Nice. Um, who are in, in completely different factions and kind of hate each other. And it shows like Edison's in a faction called the enlightened, which are, are kind of the uh, science at all costs. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter what you do to the people you're you're subjecting to whatever potential tests you have, as long as the outcome is beneficial to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have you have Edison in that side, and then you have Tesla, who's who's a lawman and a little more uh, uh, on the up and up about things, right? So that that kind of represents their rivalry in real life in this. Yeah. Game. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so, I mean, not that there's any, you know, anything truly new and original. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, uh, some of those elements I've heard before, but I don't know if I've heard it pieced together quite like that. Um, so that's that's interesting. I like that. I like that. Now, so a, a theme to a game is going to, you know, probably be the first thing that brings my interest. But the one thing that I always wonder about is, you know, it's one thing to have a theme to a game. You know, we've played a lot of board games that have themes, but when you actually are playing the board game, you realize that the theme is kind of, you know, attached, right? Stapled on just to give you some box art. Can you guys give me, uh, Brian, give me a feel, you know, how does the theme that you guys just explained to me play out on the actual table? Does it, does it translate? Um, Okay. So War Cradle, when they took the game, they wanted to make sure that the focus of the game was a very narrative gameplay. So some of the ways they did that was to focus on cinematic actions. So the game, the way that the models interact, the way that you actually build your posses, they all kind of lean towards the narration of what is happening. So you like your bosses, they 
they either, when you build your army, you, you have a boss and you decide, you have some choices. You have to decide if he wants to bring uh, a faction theme where he has more flexibility of what he can bring, or does he want to do his theme faction, which then it's it forces him to stick with that general, his go-to guys. Uh, so such as like Jesse James, he has his theme posse where it basically the first step is, you know, hey, bring Frank, he's your bro. Uh, you know, and some of the other factions have very restrictive uh, theme uh, posse builds, but then you may get some kind of bonus for sticking to it, you know. And then some of the faction ones gives you more flexibility of bringing just anything inside the faction. So, like I said, from step one, hey, we're going to theme is kind of tied to what you're going to be doing. Um, the scenarios also aid in that somewhat, but then they added. Uh, another feature called the adventure deck and the adventure deck has two different uh, gameplay tactics that you can do. Uh, One is which affects the mechanics and the other one is actually helps with victory. So it's another way for you to focus on different um, actions in the game or different outcomes and you gain victory points in that way as well. So it, it, it leans towards that. Then you have some of the actual actions that they've added into the game, like give them hell is an ability where if you're targeted, um, you can shoot them first through another thing called veteran instincts. So a lot of the gameplay like lends to the theme and the way that the models interact. Another one is the, I was going to say that one of the funnest ones that actually in its newest uh, uh, rule set is Quicken the Dead. Um, and this basically, when you get uh, targeted, before they roll dice, you can like say, hey, uh, that's going to, I don't want to even go near having to defend against that attack. So I'm going to Quicken the Dead, which gives you the ability to dive out of the way. Um, and then your model is you're basically hunkered or prone and in a defensive position after you succeed. Um, so it's kind of a thematic way of being defensive in the game. Yeah. The, um, I gotta tell you, I, it gets me kind of excited to hear like the naming behind the abilities, because one of the things that I love about Malifaux is they spend a lot of time doing something as silly as naming the abilities, things that are, that, that give you that feel for the game. And it sounds like wild West Exodus does that as well. Um, now, Paul, when you're playing, does it feel like, you know, sci-fi Wild West? Um, it sounds like the, you know, the naming of the abilities helps and kind of how things are structured. But do you feel immersed when you're, you know, flipping cards and rolling dice? Yeah, I mean, all, all of those things that, that Brian just mentioned really add to it, especially the decisions that you can make even on your opponent's turn, like being able to quicken the dead, right? So, you know, you're going to get shot at and... When you watch a, a Western film, when somebody knows they're going to get shot, they're going to duck to the ground. They're going to hide behind boxes or, or something along those lines. So you're getting to make those decisions. You're getting to make that decision to quick draw. Maybe before they shoot you, you're going to shoot at them. Gives you that fast-paced feel of what you would see in, in a Western movie. And yes, when you're when you're playing against somebody like the Watchers and there's, a, you know, your typical what you think of gray aliens coming at you with some pretty sci fi guns that, you know, are basically atomizing you. It works. It really works. And, and it gives you that that quick gunfight feel. Right. It's not like a huge battle. Like if you're playing 40K, 
Um, but these are all split decisions and you feel those split second decisions being made by your model as you're playing the game. And what's great is that a lot of it's happening even on your opponent's turn. That's that sounds exciting when we talk about, uh, you know, in game. I can't wait to hear more about that because, you know, the downtime of some other games like 40K uh, just it kills me now. I can't go back to it, you know, because I'm so used to, you know, being so engaged as much in my opponent's turn as I am my own turn. And to your point, Paul, it sounds like, you know, thematically they do that by giving you that kind of that sense of, you know, drawing guns and reacting to, to shootouts and stuff like that. So that's, yeah, there's, that there's, is- there's a lot of player agency in this game and tactical decision-making and it all builds to that theme and that, that that's that fast action. That's excellent. And those tactics occur the entire game. So there is no downtime. And because all models have the same amount of wounds, which is one. Makes it easy. (laughs) Because all these weapons, all these weapons are that deadly. Everything can kill you. You need to be paying attention. There is no, oh, well, you go ahead and go. I'm going to be over here you know, refreshing my drink. You you, you can't do that. You you really need to be engaged. And there's... um, there's cards that you can use on, on, on your opponent's turn. There are cards that you can, uh, or abilities that you can use during your opponent's turn. And uh, there are dice rolls to be made as a defensive player as well. So uh, it's definitely this newest version of the game is deadly. And when some games are over by the end of the second round, that's how deadly this game can get. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and I'm okay with a fast game like that as long as uh, you have that that agency that Paul talked about. So as long, and it sounds like it's there, right? So it's, it's not like, you know, some games where it's turn one, I lost initiative and you shot half my army off the table. And you know, now, now I get to play and it doesn't sound like that. Um, So that's, that is very cool. All right. We're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, kind of how wild west Exodus handles the pregame. So after theme, the thing that I, um, you know, next thing I look at in a game is, you know, what happens pregame? So how do you set up, you know, and determine what the wind conditions are, where you deploy? How do you build crews? Paul, can you give me kind of an idea of, you know, how wind conditions are established? Okay, so there's there's a couple different ways. Um, Now, I know I know a lot of your audience is Malifaux based. You can never compete with Malifaux as far as as the wind condition game uh, between all the strats and schemes. Um, so as of right now, with the way Wild West Exodus works, is there are five scenarios in, in the main rule book that uh, are called common adventures. Um, so you, you roll off for them at the beginning of the game. And one of them is essentially uh, you divide the table into four quarters and you have to completely claim the, the uh, quarters on, your, on the opponent's side in order to score points. So that one's really more kill everybody and then you might be able to score. So that makes it it kind of interesting. So, so uh, you end up with some lopsided numbers, even though sometimes that ends up being a closer game. Um, There's one where you're, you're, you know, your basic uh, uh, three objectives on the center line that you're, you're trying to hold. Uh, There's another one where there's a building on your side and a building on the opponent's side and you're scoring points for occupying that building. Um, There's another one with objectives that are on, the opponent deployment zone and your deployment zone. So you're scoring for, for holding those objectives. Um, and my favorite one is one called treasure hunt. And basically in that one, six random objectives are put out on the table by the players. 
And at the beginning of an activation, if you're in base to base with them, you can roll a die. And if it's an even number, it turns out to be a piece of treasure. And if it's an odd number, it is not. And it goes off the table. And you do that until there are three treasure markers and you score points for both finding them and holding them. So it turns out to be a very interesting game as as that develops, as those uh, objectives are found. Um and Paul, the, is that the only way you score points? Is is with those single objectives? No, or, it's, it, or, it's it's not. There is a there is a little bit of the multi layer. Uh, and and Brian referenced it in the in the previous section is that you have your guts and glory cards. And and the glory cards, I, I think we might get more of it into the in game mechanics. But they do offer you other ways to uh, score points depending on on different trigger points that happen in the game, such as gotcha. killing an opponent's boss or ending with a certain model in their deployment zone, things like that can score you points as well. Um, so it sounds sounds like it's somewhat random, right? So you pick a scenario or you roll off for it or you, you kind of go from there. And, and yep. does that does that influence how you build your crews? Uh, again, the, or posse, kinda, I should kinda, say, right? Yeah, yeah. Your, your posses are, are built... Uh, you know, if you're if you're looking at the more competitive side of things, uh, the the game tends to be a single list event. Uh, so you're not building it as you're going through. You're kind of building your your all comers best list you can, and then taking it into the games uh, if it's a if it's a competitive scene. Right. Um, so again, it's, it it doesn't have that that flexibility of of okay, I see what I have, so now I can build my crew, but. You're spending a lot of time ahead of time building, building it and, and figuring out the type of stuff that works best. OK, OK. Now, Brian, you, you kind of talked about this a little bit in the last segment when we were talking about theme. But um, can you kind of just flesh out for us a little bit with right now you have you have X number of points and you have no posse and how you you know, the process you go through to to, to build a posse? Right. OK. So typically, like like Paul said, you, you do that before you show up for a game. Um and the the way posse builds are you first you you got to hire a boss so um you it's kind of like if you're like the benefactor that needs a crew to you know defend your town so the far, first part is hey which of these these guys do i want to pay to come defend my town or or such such so in that way you got to hire a big guy a name personality on the in the western frontier and that's a guy that then has to decide who he's bringing to solve whatever problem you have so the first step is pick a boss and then he has three choices he can say uh, i don't know this is going to be a deadly super thing i need more bosses so then you can either bring in a new boss and so these bosses don't bring their own posses. They're just you're just going to have a collection of bosses until you reach your your cost total that you've decided with your opponent. Or each boss can also decide to bring mm-hmm. faces or tr- uh, hands or uh, support models in his posse. But then you got to decide which of the two ways I can go theme which is always really kind of a nice thing cuz it's it fits that boss and you get a lot of more um uh, cinematic feel because that's who you're bringing uh or you can bring faction is say you bought some neat toys for your faction but your theme doesn't fit with those toys but you really still need to have that that interceptor bike or you really want to bring that gyrocopter um so you may have to bring it via the faction posse so you have those two choices um but each boss you bring 
can do the same. There's that decision-making process of whether or not he wants to be by himself or if he's going to bring his own troops. Because there's a mechanic in the game where your boss can only share his fortune with his posse. And fortune allows you to power up some of these really c- cinematic uh, abilities. Got it. Um, by re-rolling dice or by interrupting someone attacking you and shooting them in the face first. Um, so those type of things are powered by the fortune. So it sounds like there's some flexibility, Brian, that that you can, you know, right. kind of, you know, pick what you want and put all your toys on the table with certain limits. But it also sounds like you're you're rewarded for, you know, being thematic. Right. And so one of the other things that he said flexibility wise is each posse card, uh, theme posse card has the ability to be brought with different factions. Not all posse theme posses can, but some of them can. So like say Billy, the kid and his regulators themed posse, they can actually join a lawman army. Got right? it. So, and same with like the deadly seven, they can draw uh, there. It's considered an outlaw band, but one of the things with outlaws is those guys theme posses literally can join different factions throughout the game. Um, so like the deadly seven, they can, they can join lawmen because the boss, he used to be a lawman. So now he's running his own outlaw gang, but he still has that ties with the lawmen so they can join a lawman faction. Um, the wayward eight, which is a, a really awesome outlaw themed posse based on loosely on a sci-fi show on Fox from several years ago. You know, the main characters, uh, very similar sculpt to, uh, a, a main actor uh, named Nathan Fillion, so you can connect the dots. Whoa, 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 whoa. hold on! Whoa, 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 Which faction is this? <laughs> it's an outlaw faction uh, posse okay. called the Wayward Eight, and it's eight. And it's Firefly. It is eight very uniquely sculpted <sighs> models on real world world actors from a show. Um, uh, the the new sculpts are amazing. That's yeah, lightning, right. lightning bug or something along those uh, lines. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool, and 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 so cool because well, Firefly is cool, right? But also cool because you know Firefly is a little bit of that mashup as well. And yes. oh boy, okay, all right. That's that's right. pretty meta. It's yeah, a that's pretty good. Western show. That's pretty good. We can say it. It's just the other version. It's yeah. Instead of being a Western show with sci-fi technology, the Firefly right. show was a sci-fi show with some Western flavor. So, uh, but yeah, that, and and just to quick to quickly clarify, Brian, do people play other models than those seven, or everybody just plays that group because it's so cool. <laughs> well okay let's put it this way i went to a demo uh i was doing a demo for a new store and the uh the new game manager was like yeah um all i'm gonna do to encourage this store to 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 jump into wildless exodus all i have to do is break out my wayward eight set and start painting them yeah (laughs) yeah i can see that it's possible that because people will see them and go, oh, my yeah, God. It's possible I'll never play this game, so, but I guarantee I'm going to own the Wayward 8. <laughs> well, okay. So that's here's, that's here's just about enough side. to play, so too. So the, the, the boss um, for the Deadly 7, his, his, his name is Shepard. Oh, that's cool. 
That's cool. So at one of the biggest things is some, so the Wayward 8 were from the original Kickstarter. They were kind of milestones in uh, how the Kickstarter worked with, you know, unlocking goals, but they only unlocked eight. And so the biggest question for, for years was, you know, where's, where's Shepherd Book, where's Shepherd Book, where's Shepherd Book? And um, so the deadly, uh, the deadly seven answers that question. That's cool uh, because the shepherd book model is the leader of its of a separate, uh, you know, posse. That's good. Now, obviously, we're you know we're, you kind of hinted at it a little sidetrack. bit. Well, yeah, that, that happens. Uh, that's we can always sidetrack to anything dealing with Firefly. We can sidetrack to. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Um, you handed out a Paul. That's what the editing room is for, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, right, give, right. Me, give me an idea, Paul, of, of kind of uh, the normal game size and, you know, on average, how many models do I need to get painted up to have a, a painted posse ready to play? You know, you you like asking me that question, and I'm going to start with, it depends, Craig. <laughs> yeah, we could. Okay. <laughs> Um, so one one of the things that I, as Brian was talking, that I I kept thinking about, and he he didn't quite touch on, but I, I felt is important, is that the theme list and the, and the posse list that we're talking about, when you get into making your posses, it gets to be very interesting because there's six slots, right? So there, each, each boss can only have six slots filled. And some of those slots are very specific as to what type of model you can bring in that slot. So list building becomes this very fascinating, almost mini game, because sometimes you start building your list and as you're building towards that 1500 points, you're like, oh, it's not going to work. Uh, and you have to go back maybe because you can't fill slot three until slot two is filled. If that oh, makes sense. Right? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So It's kind of a ladder. So you're kind of locked into it's almost like if you're playing Elder Scrolls. Right. And you have a talent tree. So if you think of these as talent trees, if you haven't unlocked Slot one, you can't unlock slot two. That makes sense. Um, so it, it makes it. Each posse build is balanced that way. So like certain factions don't have access right. to certain types of models early on in their posse builds as a way of balancing that out. Oh, so that's kind of neat. So it, by 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 essentially treeing off and when you make a decision to go one direction, you're you're shutting off decisions possibilities in other directions that I, I can see a lot of design space for the, for people there where they can really help with the balance because it prevents you from, you know, taking this super powerful model and that super powerful model. Cause they're not in the same tree. Am I, am I understanding this right? Kind of. It's a, it's a little less tree like because I mean, really you have your, your, your faction posse and your theme posse. Okay. Um, and that, and that's where your biggest decision is there. But yeah, I mean, and sometimes it's it, like a slot might have two different options, but you can't bring both. Got it. Right. So it'll be like you can have this or this. And then sometimes it'll be like you can have a Warrior Nation face or a Warrior Nation hands unit. So and, and that's where you kind of start going back and going once you get into your your points uh, manipulation and you start getting down to a few points. Sometimes it, you find yourself going back to some of those earlier, earlier slots that you filled and going, okay, well, uh, if I move this guy here into this slot, that allows me to bring somebody different in this one. It's, it really is like a fascinating mini game that you can play by yourself, just list building. It, so you're not so just I'll, swapping I'll, one model for another. You're having to make some bigger decisions that will impact previous decisions. Correct. Exactly. Because if, if, if you don't have a, a, a unit that can fit into a certain slot, you know, and that can also tie into your decision on how many bosses you're going to bring, because you might have a model that you really want to fit in 
And in one boss, it might fit into slot two, but another boss, it might not slid into fl- until slot five. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it's it's actually one of those things where when I first started doing it, I was like, oh, this is kind of ridiculous um, and seems a little little uh, over over engineered. But then I realized it was a game in and of itself. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to your getting back to your. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is that it also sounds to me, if I'm understanding things right, it, it offers it offers a bigger design space for balance, too, um, uh, sure. which I think is always the more opportunities designers have to balance a game, the you know the better chance they have to do that. So that sounds good. But yeah, back to the original question, which is you yeah. know like you know I, I understand I could have an elite crew, which may be how many models. If you, I mean, you could have an elite crew where you're bringing five models, uh, and the other extreme could be that you're playing the union and you're bringing Custer and a whole bunch of hands, and you could you could potentially push thirty. But I would say more most likely. 15 would be about your average. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's fairly large for, for what you're seeing in most skirmish games now. Um, but a lot of your, a lot of your hands units, which I know we've, we've said the term hands units a couple times and, and just to help people out, they're basically what we would call your FUD FUDs. You know, they're your, your basic troops. And so a lot of times they are in groups of three to five, as far as a minimum unit goes. Got it. Okay. Well, good. Um, so we're going to take another quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to kind of talk about uh, in-game what uh, makes Wild West Exodus unique. We'll be right back. Okay. So we've, we're sold on the theme. We've got kind of some interesting uh, ways that uh, pregame happens, especially in that crew building phase. Um, I'm anxious to read up on that some more. But now we're in the game. Um, so Brian, can you can you give me an idea of you know what makes playing Wild West Exodus cool? Um, I think one of the unique things is the interaction of two decks to play Wild West Exodus. Um, so it kind of gives you that feeling of uh, having a hand of cards that um, you have to keep an eye on as. Um, you're playing the game, uh, kind of like, uh, I guess in Malifaux, don't you use a deck yep. of cards? So similar to that. Um, but where these cards are different than Malifaux is they have two ways to affect the game. So based on how big an army you're playing against your opponent, you would have a certain number of cards. So at small um, games, uh, like with within like 800 points, you only gonna have three adventure cards unless you have a model who has a special ability that may grant them additional cards. Um, and then you, as you get up to like the standard, the set standard of gameplay, which is 1500, uh, you can have up to four and maybe even beyond that, you can get up to five cards. And these cards, you re-get up to that same number at the end of each turn. And how do these cards affect the game? Right. So I'm going to get into that. So, But just know that these cards are... Um, you are encouraged to use them during your turn. Right. If you, because you're going to get them all back at the, the beginning, uh, at the end of the turn. So you'll have them for the next turn. So you're encouraged to keep, you know, use them in their two different ways. So they're called adventure cards. They have a guts option and then a glory option. So the card is actually designed with, uh, two directions that you have to read it. So you flip it over and read the glory and then flip back the other direction and read uh, the guts. So the guts are 
game mechanic abilities. So say, for example, um, you, you know, we have attributes in the game system um, for, for like, and that's how you know what you need to roll uh, to make a shooting attack or a fight attack or how fast you can run on the table. So in the deck of adventure cards that you're going to have, there are the ability to add plus one to an attribute. There's also oh, okay. the ability to add action points because the other deck is the action deck. That's how you know how many points you have for whichever model you're going to decide to act on. And I assume each action has a cost then. So you have to spend, spend to do right. Each action has a cost. Exactly. And then each model type has different limits of how many actions they can take. And each action is powered by the points you get from the action deck. But adventure cards can gain you plus one to that. Or a very more rare card in the adventure deck is plus two action points. So they're very powerful if you can get one of the plus twos because that really gives you the ability to do more. All right, um, that's kind of that's kind of neat. So it, it sounds like it's different than Malifaux, where Malifaux, you know, instead of dice, you have cards. It sounds like the cards here are, are kind of right. enhancing the gameplay. So they're they're giving you some added variables, um, and and they're also kind of dictating. Right. Uh, you, you know how how you how you dictate uh, actions out. Um, and they interact with each other. So that's cool. Right. So, but there's more. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, there's so much more. Uh, So one of the things it can have you do is fortune is uh, unique to this game. It allows re-rolls and powers other special abilities. Well, adventure cards can reset your model's total of fortune. So there's that adventure card. There's one that allows what's called teamwork, which allows you to to activate another unit within eight inches of the model that you just used. uh, If you play that card. Um, So there's lots of different tactics you can use off of the guts side of an adventure card. Now the other side, when you flip the card to the other direction, you have glory and glory allows you to uh, based on what the glory citation is allows you to gain victory points so for example if you kill a face model with a shoot attack gain plus one victory points if you shoot if you get your boss to the middle of the table at the end of the turn play this card get plus one victory points so you've got that you've got that on top of the strategies that we talked about pregame, um, right. and, and with them now with it being on the same card, it sounds like I, I need to make a choice yes. at times, right? Whether I'm going to be, you know, take the tactical advantage off the gut side, or am I going to score points with the glory side? Right. So that's that's like a another complete new tier to the tactics of the game, and can be very cinematic, especially like if you know you have this this glory card. 
uh, taking out a face with a, uh, a fight action. So you push you push your 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 model to go attack that face, and it's a gamble because you may not succeed in t- killing that model. But now you're out there. Right, right. That's cool. And then later, you may not even have what you need to make that that big move because you 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 had to use it for our guts. And so now you're you're like, oh, I finally got that face, but I don't have that card anymore because I needed it for something else. Um, okay, you needed it to save your ass somewhere else. Exactly. Very cool. Now, Paul, talk to me about dice. So it's not just cards, right? How how do the how does dice work in the game? Uh, it's a it's a d10 system um so and it actually works out to be very straightforward um because if you think of it in in malifaux terms uh everything you're trying to do is essentially a target number 10 check Um, okay so if it and this actually uh increases the speed of the game because you're you're never asking another player what their defense is or what their right. armor is or anything like that. You're just looking at your card and you know what you need to hit them. So if you if you're trying to shoot somebody, um, one of your stats is aim. Um, so you look at what your aim value is and whatever the difference is between that and ten. That's what you need on your die to succeed. So if you're if your aim six, you need, need to roll a four. A four. Got it. Yeah. So so there's no there's no having to go and ask the other person what their status. It, it's dependent on on yours. Um, so, so how does the opponent react, though? So you guys talked about the reactions. Um, so if I'm rolling on my own uh, and mm-hmm. I just need a four up to hit you, what kind of what do you okay. how do you defend yourself? Well, if you're, if you're going to shoot at me and I'm playing Warrior Nation, I'm going to see if I can quicken the dead and I'm going to I'm going to hit the ground before you can shoot me. Which, <laughs> so 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 there so there's so there's special abilities that are built into the game, um, like the, the most common one that you'll hear people talk about is quicken the dead, because a lot of your better models have it uh, and, and it's a way to stay alive. Right. So so, Craig, one of your guys is going to to say shoot walks looking one of the bosses from from Warrior Nation. And I don't want you shooting her. Um, So what I do is before you before you roll your dice to shoot me, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to quicken the dead. And so what I do at that point is I look at my my quickness, which is my speed. And I have to roll a target number 10 check based on that. So like for uh, walks looking, her speed is six. So I roll a four, any shot, any die that you were going to roll to shoot her for that activation or for that action automatically misses. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So, so, which is great. And then on, on top of that, now I'm like ducked down. So, so my save roll gets a plus one bonus. So there's a long-term benefit to it. Right. So the save roll is called a grit check so your defensive ability is called grit which is a very thematic uh for a western game and that's what you roll and it's again base to 10 so uh and then there the, each weapon has um uh one of the the characteristics of a weapon is its pierce value so that's the only modifier to your grit roll would be the piercing of the uh, of that weapon and you add that to your uh, your roll 
Gotcha. So you're not really rolling against each other. You're kind of both rolling to hit target numbers and you and based off of the abilities and the actions you're choosing, you might be modifying those. Correct. The the right. rolls are not opposed like you would see in Got Infinity it. or, or Malifaux with flipping cards at the same time. They're they're unopposed rolls. Um which which again speeds it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're you're making decisions on on how sometimes you're gonna react, like walks look like the example I gave with walks looking, um, you know, potentially quick in the deading. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, there's some other options I could do too. I could have somebody jump in front of the bullet for her or, um, you Take know, if one she, for the team. yeah, if she, if, if it's, if she doesn't have any range attack. So if it was a melee attack on, coming at her, I could try and stab you first. Hmm. Um, That's cool. Which, yeah. Which, which is getting a little bit more into the nitty gritty of the mechanics, but it, the way, the way the game works is if you charge somebody, you get a move, and a free action to attack, right? So if you're, say, charging, walks looking, and she hits you first, um, and and you be, and she hits successfully hits you, and you're strong enough to have essentially a second wound, and you get a condition on you called disorder, you can no longer take free actions. Hmm. So you could completely stop somebody from taking those charge attack at you by doing that, by basically getting the jump on them which really messes with the action points that they were planning on spending. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting the feeling that it's, it's a relatively streamlined system. Does it, do you think that's an accurate description? Yes, it, it is. It is. A lot of it is very streamlined, but at the same time, there's some things that until you started playing from the outside can look extremely, extremely bulky. Um, okay. And, and that's, <laughs> It's one of those things that for me, when I first looked at the game, when they were doing the second edition, I looked at it and I looked at some of this stuff and I went, nope, there's no way in hell I'm playing this um, because I just tried, I just, <laughs> I just tried dabbling in infinity and I, I couldn't figure out the 18 oh. different types of camouflage. Um, so I, so I looked and I'm like, common rules, F that, I'm going home, I'm going to go back to play Malifaux, I know what I'm doing there. Yeah. Um, but once you get into the game and you start looking at some of these common rules that that a lot of these models have, they are very well themed out in within faction. So even though there might right. be 20 common rules in the game, you're seeing the same ones in your faction. So you really learn the ones on your side of the table really quickly. That helps. Right. So the key to this game is do a demo and the demo focuses on the interaction, mm-hmm. right? And the theme. And then, you know, when you go to, uh, you know, a convention where War Cradle actually has Wild West Exodus on the table doing demos, you see this huge high energy. You see lots of people like screaming, yeah, rolling dice, um, because the demo's not the demoer doing anything Mm -hmm. they actually make you actually roll dice and you they guide you through the decisions into how the game plays and it's huge big moments right i i I was at pack south watching them demo and literally you had people crowded around just watching these two people roll roll dice and it was like the the energy there is based on how thematic some of this stuff is happening and they're not even diving deep into the rules right when you sit there and read the rule book yes you're gonna go huh there's three pages of common abilities and and then three more pages of weapon qualities and 
but don't get lost in the minutia of how things interact because the main focus is you pick your guys and then you read those mo- those abilities and then they make sense and you're like oh, okay yeah. uh moving target because this is a fast running um uh, attack dog i get it it makes sense if he moves before um in the middle of the turn anyone trying to shoot that dog after he's moved is going to be harder to hit so i ooh, i get that that makes sense you know so that's what the key to the, the game is dude just get a demo <laughs> or get a game just just get in it and all this other stuff it makes it easy uh, they even printed the common uh, rules on small reference cards and put them in the gubbins box and posse boxes and that was like a huge unlock for a lot of people because they were like i bet i don't have to jump into a book <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i can just reference it right here yeah it's- <laughs> So, so I guess the warning out there is, you know, don't let the rule book overwhelm you. That uh, the game really comes to life on the table. It does, it, right? Especially since it's only forty pages of rules, and then one hundred and sixty pages of fluff. Nice. So, one of the other things I know, I know, Craig, we've we've gone pretty long on the uh, in-game stuff, but there's so much in this game. But we we have to take a step back for a section because I feel <laughs> I, I feel like as and and we still have at least one step forward. We have to talk about to the to the core of this game, um, and that's that's why when I was looking at, I'm like, there's no way we can do this in an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're stuck with us, Craig. You're stuck with us on in the black hoof podcast we separate it uh, have it, its own uh podcast and we yeah, usually go sure. about an hour <laughs> yeah and, I, and i'm trying to keep i'm trying to keep this pretty pretty quick for you craig and, and talking fast here but I, I have to step back to the action deck because we just touched on it but it is so important to how the game plays and it actually ends up solving one of the major issues of a you go i go skirmish game all right, that that so many games struggle with, and even um, Malifaux has has worked on changing from from the second edition into the third edition, uh, and this ends up being such an elegant solution. You almost don't even realize that it it solves a lot of this problem. All right, so so I got to get into this action deck. So with the action deck, it I know sorry, it tells you how much your model can do. Right. So you're pulling out a card each turn, each time you're activating a model and it's going to be from one action point to five action points. OK, mm-hmm. so if you only pull one, it sucks. It's going to ruin your day. It's very much like flipping a black joker um, because you might have had something you needed to do right now, right at this point, And you have one action point. Right. So that means that really you're like, OK, I could shoot, I can charge or I can walk. That's pretty much my only options there. Those are like the only things I can do with one action point. Um, and it, right. So the action deck kind of uh, or the advent, the adventure cards kind of modify that and fortune allows you to do it. So you can play with it, but you're going to use more resources to do those things that you want it to do. Um, so. All of your like like Malifaux, everybody gets two AP and your your master gets three in this. It's random. You don't know what you're going to pull. 
So you don't know if that action deck is going to be working with you or working against you at any point in time. But, but because it's a deck, it's balanced, right? Because you have a, you have a, it has a memory. Yes. It's, it's a, it's, and it's a bell curve. So right. most likely you're going to pull a three. Got it. Okay. It's a pretty safe bet that you're going to pull a three. But when you pull a two or a one and you were kind of going, hey, maybe I'll pull a four, it sucks. Like you feel that. <clears throat> and it, it completely changes all of your decision making. Right. So, so you're never guaranteed you're going to get to do everything that you want to do with that model. And so one of the things that this actually solves a little bit is activation control. Right. Right. Because because you might you might be at the end of your turn. You're like, oh, man, I can't wait for Jesse James to walk once. He's going to revolver fan and he's just going to take out that entire unit of hands and you flip a one. Yep. And you're like, well, I can either shoot from here and well, I'm not in range, so I can't. So I'm going to I'm going to just I'm just going to walk away because I'm out of out of resources. Right. So that, that that balances that super amazing guy. And you flip that and you're in trouble. Now, on the other hand, you also have that great luck where if he pulls a five. Oh, boy, right. everything's dead. Or my favorite is there's special abilities that certain models have. And Jesse James specifically, because you mentioned him, Paul, has ability called Gambler, which allows him to draw a new card. But the catch is. It has to be higher than the card he originally drew. If it's the same or less, he's done. He His activation is over. But if it's a better card, he has no limit. That's interesting. So he can continually doing actions as long as he can pay for them through adventure cards the actual action card that he pulled and using fortune. So right. Norm- normally a model has a limit and that caps how many actions you can do. Okay. So even if you flip a five action card, you might still only be able to do three actions. Oh, okay. 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 But those other two, those other two action points you can use uh, essentially as Chrome on an ability to, to make yourself shoot better or, or you know, so or, or even, well, not re-roll, but yeah, I mean, there's different ways you can use those action points getting deeper into the game. Right. It, 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 it's becoming pretty obvious to me that this, it, there's, there's some serious tactical decisions that are made, you know, in game. And yes, and that's, I like that. Um, and as you know, Paul, one of the reasons that I've stayed with Malfo as long as I have is because the decisions the players make matter. And, and it sounds like there's a lot of key de- decisions here that, really are going to decide who wins the game. It's not going to be you rolled a two versus an eight on your D 10. That's going to decide the game. It's going to be the decisions that you've been making, which, you know, how you're, how you're playing your adventure deck, what you're doing with your action points. Um, you know, that, that the decisions matter more than the randomness is, is the feeling I'm getting. Oh, absolutely. If you, if you're, if you're playing well, um, you know, most of the time, if you're in an evenly matched game, you can go, you can pinpoint the point at which you made a decision that cost you the game. Right. Right. As opposed to, well, I rolled all ones and that's why I lost. So that makes me happy. Exactly. Or you can see a game where someone is literally getting tabled 
but because they use their victory points well by using adventure cards to get victory points can still technically win the game with their one model still on the table because they got to the, the fifth round at the end of the fifth round, he may only had one model, but because he used those, uh, the glory side of adventure cards instead of the guts, he was able to squeak a win because he got more uh, victory points by playing the scenario and the victory cards. Well, that's cool. That's cool. How many, how many turns in a game? There's, there's five turns. Yeah. Okay. And that's, and that doesn't vary. That's always, it's always five. Yeah. Unless, unless you get wiped out <laughs> or, or shorter, right? Cause you have no models left or the, or the game end yeah. because the game's over. But, and, and so another way is like, say in a tournament setting, uh, like they just had a Depticon, uh, tournament, um, and time allowed, can also shorten a game. Of course, yeah, yeah. So in a typical tournament format, how many, how much time do you get per round for a game? Um, I think at Adepticon, they did two hours uh, for the whole game. So, uh, and, and, it, it, and the play time varies based on um, the experience of the players, obviously. So uh, if, once you first start playing, uh, if you stick to, uh, you know, 900 as a point, point value, uh, you're looking at about an hour. Okay. And that's just while you're learning the rules. But then once that 900 points and you guys are playing and you're finishing within 30 minutes, you know, now, Hey, we can, we can stretch this and get to a thousand and then we can stretch that again and go to maybe 1200. And then as you, you guys get more comfortable, the games go much faster. So how does it scale at those point values? Cause I know Malifo really, really doesn't doesn't balance until you're at 50 stones uh size wise does does exodus have a similar thing where you really need to be playing at 1500 or does it scale up and down all right this game scales like no other game i've played before wow like i feel like with this game regardless of the point size you're playing it's going to be a fun exciting game and you're never gonna you're never gonna go Oh, well, that was unfair because we're not at the, at that sweet spot. Right. Like there's there like if you're playing a smaller game, um, like if you're playing below fifteen hundred points, which fifteen hundred is kind of your standard and fifteen hundred is played on a four by four table. But if you're playing below that, you're playing on a three by three. Oh, OK. Right? So you're so you're not going to get that experience where, oh, I'm playing with just a few models on this big board. And so they're not really interacting. So it right. forces that interaction. Nice. Um, you, you also are playing with less adventure cards in your hand. So it still forces you to to make make those decisions. Right. Uh, kind of like um, when we talked about Star Wars Legion, once you get into smaller, smaller games, you're not making that tactical decision on who's getting your orders. Right. But here you have less adventure cards. So you're still struggling. You're, you're still making those agonizing choices. That's a big selling point as far as I'm concerned, because it allows you to have real games at smaller levels while you're getting your posse together. Yep. I mean, 500 points, 750 points, 1500 points. Every single one of those games has been fun and exciting. Right. And, and it also allows you to um, do escalation leagues really easily as you and your peers start picking up more and more things. You can slowly start adding them because as you've played games, you've, you're, you're getting smoother with the, the rules. You, you, you're getting faster. So when you add, you know, 
um, another couple hundred uh, points to your games, you're adding a few more models. So you're slowing things down in that regard. But because you're learning, you're getting faster and faster. And so 1500 is an amazing game. Uh, the balance is the best at 1500. But depending on who you're playing and who your opponent is playing, I've had amazing games at you know, 500 points. I've had amazing games at 750, 900, um, a thousand is like our standard at one of my stores that we, uh, do our tournaments and, um, they're, they're amazing. And we have yet to see one faction rule at all at any of those point levels. Wow. That's nice too. That's hard to balance at multiple point levels. So that's good. Right. There's two factions that have extremely expensive things, but because they're really good, um, them having less units is, is not a detriment. Um, and it's not an auto win either. Right. Right. Very cool. So it, 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 very good balance yeah all right so we're going to take another quick break and when we come back we're going to uh, talk about uh, the hobby aspect of the uh, game and uh, then wrap up so we'll be right back Okay, so the last thing that's going to not only get me into a game, but is going to keep me in a game is the hobby aspect. Um, everybody who is uh, a regular follower of Third Floor Wars knows I am not good at playing. I lose games. Uh, and somehow the, what keeps me in it, though, is I love to paint and I love to, you know, the building and the aesthetics and stuff like that. And, and now I, before we, uh, we met and recorded this, guys, I looked and the models are pretty. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to get a sense of is, you know, how hard do they put together um and you know for those you know brian i know you like to paint and do the hobbying aspect of it um you know how much of that impacts your love of the game well okay so i'm not a war gamer i i actually uh my first war game was wild west exodus after just stumbling on the kickstarter and seeing wyatt earp doc holiday with a respirator mask uh to combat tuberculosis and then actual robot deputy uh units i was like hey honey i'm i'm gonna buy some models on kickstarter and she's like what's kickstarter i was like don't worry honey and she how much i was like <laughs> seven seventy dollars to start yeah that didn't end there uh but anyway so i jumped in just all the off chance i'm just gonna paint these because that's what i did i paint models and i bought in and joined the community and long story short, now I war game and, uh, am a war host and, um, have, uh, about 20 models in various stages of work in progress. So, um, love painting these models. Um, uh, I shamefully have, um, large armies in every faction so far and lost world is going to be even crazier. But, um, so anyway, the models are great. They, the ability for them to make these highly detailed models, uh, they increase the scale. It's like 35 millimeter. So it's a little bit larger than most standard, um, 32 millimeter games. Um, that little bitty extra size to the models uh, that matters. It does. And, and they, they, the scale is beautiful. You literally, one of my most impressive things is in the wayward eight, the Marcus, the leader of the unit, literally looks like Nathan Fillion. It's like, uncanny. <sighs> and, uh, of course, Jane, uh, the model that is, has a different name. His name is Jake in the, uh, Wild West Exodus, but he's got a stogie in his mouth 
and he's wearing the the hat. So if you you know Firefly, if you know Firefly, you know what I'm talking about. So oh, that was going to be my next. That's my next question. Is he wearing the hat? <laughs> yeah, but those details are there, and that's just an amazing thing. And it's been that way since the beginning. There's a few models in the the first uh, the Kickstarter that I, I was just li- I just didn't like very much, um, but. Um, a little bit of snip snip and some conversions they 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 turn out for just fine nice. um but so it's a really good resin um they're they're easy to put together um some people you know who aren't used to building models and stuff there they have these assembly guides that are really good um and they've been consistent these these guides are really if you if you don't see it on your own because they're kind of intuitive. They have a guide that can give you a heads up. Uh, like I think someone was That's building uh, Black Hoof 2020, um, Jedrick Powell's partner. Uh, he's a robot horse in humanoid form. So he didn't know what the two pieces were. There's a guide that would have told you, hey, those are his shoulders. You need to put those in there. Um, Right. But that kind of stuff happens if you don't know about the assembly guide. So we're always blasting that out like, hey, assembly guide. Oh, you, you need to know how to build that assembly guide. Um, there are two types of um, mediums for the models. There's most of the models are in resin. So those are in-house spun and they, they've gotten really good at making them uh, very few defects. Uh, uh, not not always perfect, um, but their customer service fixes any of those issues. Like just yesterday, um, I got a, a new, uh, Kaylee or Kalia. I, I think I mispronounced that. Uh, she is one of the, uh, dark nation models in, uh, she's like spider girl. There was a bubble in one of her legs. They sent me a whole new model. So, I mean, Anytime That's we've cool. had those, and it's not—it's very rare. I think I've only had to request like two models in the five years, and I have over a thousand. So <laughs> I'll bash GW, but the one thing I don't bash GW on is customer service because you know GW has always been that way as well. And weird is too. Um, it's a it. Um, so every game system I've been in, I've been very impressed by the company's ability to say, "Hey, our bad." Like we'll we'll pop one in the mail to you tomorrow with no arguments. Um, so I'm glad to right. hear that that War Cradle is the same way. Um, Paul, talk to me about uh, putting together terrain for the game. You know, it's a slightly different scale than most games, 28 millimeter or 32 millimeter. Um, w- what are people doing as far as building tables? Well, one of the most convenient things is that War Cradle actually has a line of terrain. Um, so if you want to be real simple about it, you can just buy the, the War Cradle stuff. And I mean, their stuff is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's, it's all MDF, but it's like a, it feels like it's a little thicker MDF than what you, you normally see out there. Um, and it, it and come pre-primed yeah, and they're pre, yeah, they're pre-primed. Um, so they're, you know, you pretty much just have to, to glue them together and then, uh, slap some paint on them and, and you're, you're good to go. I mean, and, and they do, they look fantastic and, and they fit that that mold just fine. Um, there are, there are also a lot of people that tend to, uh, build their own stuff as well. Uh, I don't know that it has the 3d printing community that, that Star Wars Legion has. Um, but yeah, not yeah, yet. But I, I, I think as the game gets more popular, I think that will definitely end up being a thing. Um, but I mean, the easiest way to go right now is to look at the War Cradle stuff and and compare to to what you see from a lot of MDF terrain companies. Uh, it's 
it's priced right. I might have to check it out even if I don't play because it sounds like some of it might fit Malifaux. So that's cool. It would absolutely fit Malifaux. So one of the coolest things um, that terrain in our game, so like especially when talking about like structures, um, it's they're they're treated as abstract in the game. So you it. If you have buildings a little bit out of scale, it really doesn't matter because you're not diving in and actually going door to door, room to room inside those buildings um, because they're treated as abstract um, you know, environments. So you can get in the buildings, but once you're in the building, that unit, um, they, they have control of that domain. No one else can come into that unit. Uh, into that building and you can shoot draw a line of shot uh, line of sight from any corner of that building and anyone shooting you in the building is assumed to also have line of sight to you nice okay so there's not a whole lot of reasons why you couldn't use literally any terrain you already own because it's a sci-fi western your your 40k um you know temple it could be used your 40k dwellings they can be used. Your Star Wars Legion, um, you know, most Eisley terrain can be used. It literally, it's it's so easy to use in a narrative way, whatever you want, because there are high technology locations like an enlightened compound, because it's all going to be high technology, you know, energy tubes and conduits and stuff like that you can use your western terrain from malifaux or knucklebuster the scale is maybe a little technically smaller but because you're using the buildings abstractly it doesn't really matter right because you're not needing to get through the door you're not needing to be able to get through the window all that stuff is is thematically cinematic it's well you made it through that window you just dove through the window yep. you know oh you just kicked in the door now you're in you know it, it just assumes those things are happening and oh you're shooting out of that corner no there's not a window but there's a knot hole that you just poked out with your your barrel and now you're shooting out or you just shattered the window and shot out of it just like it, they do in the movies so it the terrain is really kind of uh, neat and it really can use whatever you want. Uh, I think at Adepticon, they do in pickup games. They, I think they found like small boxes. I don't even know what they were, but they just put the boxes out in the middle of the table. That's cool. That's cool. All right, guys. So it's time for closing arguments. Uh, Paul, why don't you get us started? I want to hear the top two reasons why I should be playing wild West Exodus. Okay, the first thing that I'm going to give you is that uh, you are always engaged and making tactical decisions at every point in the game, whether it's your turn or not. The other thing is that the models are gorgeous, and I guarantee you, you would have an amazing time painting them. All right, Brian, it's time for your closing arguments. Top two reasons why I should be playing. Having just met you, I do know one of the top reasons is um, the Wayward Eight. Um, <laughs> and <we're- laughs> um, the other one is um you know this game is extremely thematic i mean uh, from creating your posses to um you know uh building your models to putting your the basing terrain uh from from you know joining your buddies over over drinks or beers there's so much you can do in the game to just have fun. I mean, the game is extremely fun, but it doesn't sacrifice tactics. So if you're a war gamer and you like tactically playing this game, this game's for you. If you like having a beer while playing a game and not getting tied up in the minutia, 
this game is for you. If you love awesome models, this game is for you. There, there's something for everybody between the eight factions. Literally, if you can't find a faction here, um, you'll find uh, eight. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> well, and, and, and before we get too far off of that, one of the big things they announced during Adepticon is that there's actually now going to be a sister game to it. So it's going to function very much like War Machine and Hordes, where there's going to be another system using the same mechanics um, set in a different part of the world. Yeah, that, that was a big announcement. Yeah, I mentioned it in brief. That was huge. Is so good. We didn't see it coming. The war host, I think they knew it was coming. We knew something was coming. Yeah, and, and what what the neatest part is, um, as war hosts and as because I've I've been around the game for so long, I do uh, periodically chat with Stuart and some of the other um, creators. Uh, you know, Stuart even like sent me some of the um, dark dystopian age faction fluff for the worldwide factions. And so I had read some of that and then they, they dusted off the the rule book and added some different um, fluff sections and short stories. And when you read those, it, it was, it was teasing you about this. So if you paid attention or you saw some of these things, when they threw up the jungle teaser, uh, leading up to Adepticon, some of us were like, oh, is this what that's going to be? But we, we weren't sure if for for 100% sure because it was a lot of guess. It was a lot of guesswork. But I'm like shooting Stuart, um, the, the game manager of Wallace Exodus. I'm shooting a message goes, is this about such and such? And he was like, very astute. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be awesome. And we just interviewed him the other night. So look out for uh, the Black Hope Saloon podcast because it's going to be an interview with Stuart where we dive into not only Lost World Exodus, but we also dive into what to expect from Wild West Exodus for the rest of the year. And it's all good. Yeah. And, and yeah, this this kind of has us towards the wrap up here, which is perfect because, uh, you know, this is actually, you know, the first time you and I have ever really interacted. But when uh, Paul, um, you know, gave me your name and told me about the podcast, I listened to a couple episodes and uh, I liked what I heard. Uh, you guys um, are very passionate about the game. You guys do a really good job of, of you know, explaining, you know, you know, different aspects of the game and uh, not just a win at all cost type podcast, which I love. Um, the passion I heard was good. And just in general, Brian, where, where's the best place for uh, people to find your podcast? Um, well, we, we have a Facebook group. It's the uh, Black of Saloon. You can find us there. We have a Twitter account, also Black of Saloon. Um, we have an Instagram, uh, very, very uh, new Instagram. So it's just, uh, you know, uh, I think about a month or so. We, we dumped, jumped into Instagram and Twitter at the same time. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Um, there's a few videos, uh, but our podcasts are also there. Uh, we can be found on Podbean uh, in Apple Pod Store, I guess. I'm not really sure what it's called because I don't do Apple. The Another location to find each of us is on the Dark Council. It's the official um, community group on Facebook for both Wild West Exodus and now the Lost World Exodus, you know, find us there. Beautiful, beautiful. And what I'll do, Brian, is I'll put, I'll put some links in the show notes for people um, so they can track you down. Paul, where can we find you? Uh, well, like, like Brian, we're, we're a, a, a pod bean based podcast. So uh, you can find us there. It's, it's, uh, you know, just search three men in a war game. We're basically on every uh, podcast 
service that you can find. Uh, and if you find one and we're not on it, let me know. Uh, <laughs> we, we probably want to be on it. Um, we're on, we're, we're on all of the social media. So our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, it's all at three men in a war game, but it's the number three. Um, but probably the best way to hang out with us and interact with us is through our discord. Uh, and, and I'm not a hundred percent sure what I did, but over the past like three days, I, our discord has like tripled in size and, uh, I don't know what I did to deserve that, but it's been amazing. And there's been so much talk Wild West Exodus and, and every other game, Malifaux. And, um, it, it was blowing up my phone today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just it, it was like sitting at 14 people for quite a long time. And it, it's at least doubled in size now. So it's it's pretty well, crazy. Since, since Jedi Powell joined yeah, Paul. Yeah, exactly. So and I'll, and I'll, and Craig, I will provide you with a link so this way more people can come on and, yeah, and talk. Yeah, please do, Paul. And between when it was 14 and it blew up, were you a guest on any other podcasts? Uh, well, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's blown up and, 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 and thank you for all the, the lovely shout outs and everything like that, Craig, because yeah, man. we did, we did get to see some, uh, some increases in our listenership while, uh, um, after, after I appeared on, on your last show. So, well, you, you, you guys, you guys have a good cast. Um, so well, it, it's well-deserved. We'll, we'll have links, uh, we'll have links in there. And of course, uh, you know, as far as we're concerned at third floor wars, you go to thirdfloorwars.com. You can go to our YouTube channel and, uh, you already know how to find the podcast. So, uh, Brian, Paul, thanks again. Uh, and gentlemen, uh, have thanks a good night. Invite. Thanks. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and write a review on this podcast so we can find more people almost as cool as you are. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for Third Floor Wars. That's T-H-I-R-D. We'll catch you next time on The Third Floor.